0: Today I'm going to preach on, I had an opportunity this week on Tuesday to hang out with some of our guys that are in our program at um, at Harvest, and uh, and then this Monday I'm going to get a chance to talk with and hang out with the ladies up at the Jim Russo campus. So if any ladies are there, I'm going to get a chance to come up there. My dad's coming. Yeah, Lisa, I'm on my way. My dad's coming up, and I, maybe Charlene's going to come up, but I had a chance to hang out with some guys, and I told them that if they came to church this Sunday... I'd be talking about uh, eliminating shame in our lives, eliminating shame. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to kind of set this up by telling you that we actually find in the scriptures, how many of you have heard of cancel culture? Well, I'm not going to go there. Um, uh, but there is, in the Bible, there was a, there's an OG, there's an original cancel c- culture, if we go in the word of God. They'll get it figured out, these lights. It's all right. Um, There's an original cancel culture. So if you're looking up, if you're watching this on Facebook, you'll see the title is The OG Cancel Culture. And subtitled here this morning is Eliminating Shame. How many of you grew up hearing somebody say to you when you messed up, you ought to be ashamed of yourself? Or, Or how about this one? Don't you have any shame? He has no shame. Look at him. Right? We, we as a culture, we as a society have become very comfortable with the idea of using shame to motivate even our children. Well, you don't, your brother never gets in trouble. Uh, funny thing, I, I probably got in the most trouble in growing up. Um, but my brother Jim, who was constantly in a book, his nose in a book, he's brilliant, of course. PhD now. He was constantly in the book. We find out uh, now 30 years later that he was doing all sorts of things. He just was better at hiding it. I just got caught a lot. He was sneaking out to concerts. When he was in high school, he snuck out of the house or said he was going to a friend's house and got in a car and drove down to Miami at whatever, 16 years old with a bunch of friends doing God knows what to go see the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Which, I, this wasn't... I didn't know, where is she? I'm, I'm going to beat him now. <laughs> Mind you, this wasn't 45 years ago, but apparently the Rolling Stones were still cool. Yeah. And he went and saw the Rolling Stones in Miami with a bunch of friends. Oh, <laughs> we also recently found out some other things that he did on his birthday, but we won't talk about But um, we use shame to motivate our children. We use shame to motivate one another. The idea of you ought to be ashamed or have you no shame. The idea is that if you feel shame for your mistakes, it will somehow motivate you to not make those mistakes anymore. In other words, this terrible feeling I have right now for what I did, I'm going to remember, I'm going to recall my emotional memory And remember this moment where I felt really bad about what I did. And therefore, if this situation comes up again, I'm going to remember how terrible I felt about myself in that moment. And I'm not going to do it. Now, although occasionally maybe sometimes that works on the grand curve of our life. How many of you know shame actually produces nothing but negativity and death in our life? So some of you might be thinking, I want to get this definition out of the way right now. What is the difference between shame and guilt? Does guilt have any sort of place in our life? I think guilt can be a good thing. I think guilt can be something that can remind us that there's consequences for our decisions. But guilt is the difference. The difference between shame and guilt is this. It is, I'm a bad person versus I've done a bad thing. So if we have messed up, uh, acknowledging that, you know what? Ah, I missed it here. And I hurt some people. And for that, I don't feel great about the fact that something I did or didn't do hurt people. And I, I, I feel compelled, because of the way I feel, to maybe make this right. Or to remind myself I'm not going to do it again. Versus... I've done something wrong, and the reason I've done something wrong is because I am inherently a bad or evil or troubled person. When our decisions are poor decisions, anybody ever made a poor decision in here? All right. Well, coming to church this morning was a poor decision, so we got you. You're all, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> if you have ever made a poor decision in your life, you will realize that um, it has the potential to define us and no poor decision should define us. Yep. Now, whether you are 30 years a believer in Jesus and just have done everything right, we've recently been watching this comedian who grew up in the church and he does these really funny kind of things. He, he's a mess sometimes, so I won't give you his name because you'll look him up and be like, Pastor Dan endorses this kind of language. Uh, and I don't. So, um, But he's a funny comedian. He was talking about quiet time. And he's like, back in the 90s, we did quiet time, right? Quiet time was the big thing. It's like, and then people in church would brag about their quiet time. Some of you who didn't grow up in the church were looking at me like, this is, can't be real. No, it's real. And so we would just be like, yeah, I just spent like 30 minutes every day this week in quiet time. And he admitted that he was a quiet time imposter that he said he did a certain amount of quiet time, but really he was a quiet time imposter. And then he mentioned that there's always that one legendary quiet time person. You know, somebody says, do you know that Janet gets up at 4 a.m. every day to spend three hours of quiet time with the Lord? And he goes, got me thinking, was Janet also a quiet time imposter? (laughs) And then it clicked in his brain, I could have been the legendary quiet time person. So, you know, we, 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 <laughs> we, um, we throughout the years have found, out, found really incredible ways to, to convince people that this is what you had to do in order to look, in order to be accepted, in order to be received. But at the end of the day, we all realize that we're going to make some mistakes. Yep. Come on. Yeah. Anybody ever told somebody they read, you read your Bible that morning and did your devotionals, but you didn't? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Only four of you, you lions. (laughs) I'm going to preach on telling the truth next week. (laughs) Shame has this thing, and I have to get through this quickly, we're going to run out of time, but shame um, corrodes the very part of us that believes that we're capable of change. The reason shame is so detrimental is it creates a cycle Mm -hmm. where I do something bad, therefore I believe I'm bad, or vice versa. I believe I'm bad, therefore I do something bad. So when bad comes up again, I'm just simply reinforcing the idea of what I've already decided and who I am. So the ability to change, the ability to grow, the ability to see kind of the next steps of of our life um, unfold before us, the journey that God's given us, is dependent on us being willing to say where I'm at in my life, my emotional life, my spiritual life, my connection and relationship with others is not quite where it needs to be. And, and I play a role in that. But where I'm at in relationship, where I'm at in life, where I'm at emotionally, where I'm at in my job, is not, I'm not defined by it. It's not who I am. Does that make sense? Yes. sir. Oh, by the way, before this service ends, we're going to receive an offering. Um, What? I know, that's fine. That's what I wanted. Yeah. So one of the people that just had to step out, we want to help with, um, uh, she needs some very expensive glasses and only has about enough money for half of it. So she's just recently diagnosed with something. I won't get into her medical history, but struggling, needs to spend about $460 on these special glasses so that she's able to see better. She's got about 200 of it. We need to come up with the other 260. You think we can do that before the end of service? All right. Good. We'll do that. We're not going to make it a big thing. We're just going to make it happen. Charlene's going to make sure that we, we get it to the optometrist or whoever's working on that and, and get it done. So you're going to handle that. Yeah? Cool. Is that all right, church? Um, and a bunch of people left, so you're not going to be able to figure out who it is. All right. So um, it must have been me talking about shame. So shame actually derives its power. We empower shame by this. Get, this is very important. Shame derives its power from us allowing it to be unspeakable. When we talk about shame, shame, the power of shame gets removed. That's right. So if, we, if you bring up the topic, if you're in a, a, a group of five peers and you bring up the topic of shame, the one who's willing to dialogue the least about it struggles the most with it. Come on. Do you hear me? Yeah. So the person that says, like, well, I don't even want to, it. they are probably struggling the most with shame because shame gets its power, it's most powerful when we don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, let me get into this real quick because uh, there's so much stuff that I wrote down and I don't have time to do it. First John 1:9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many of you believe that shame is a part of the unrighteous cloak that sometimes we wear? And God actually wants us to confess. You know he wants us to confess? Right here. This confession of our sins. Right here. We think this means that we get around and we're just like, I messed up this way, I messed up this way, I messed up way. And sometimes that's okay if you're in a peer of people to discuss that. Some people can't handle you being that raw and authentic. And if you're around people like that, get some new friends. All right? Come on. You need to have some people in your life you can be real with. Right? But the word confess here is the word homo Logeo Logo, like logos, like word, homo being the same. It means to speak the same words over your sins, over my sins, over my mistakes that God speaks over them. So to confess our sin is to homologeo, to speak the same word over our sins that God does. Do you think God is up there after the sacrifice of his son on the cross like we see in Hebrews, it says that it was a one-time sacrifice to remove once and for all, not, not to use the blood of bulls and goats to just cover it temporarily, but it says that he removed our sin once and for all. So if that's what he says about your sin and mine, about my past, about my mistakes, about who I ripped off or didn't rip off, who I kept my word to or didn't keep my word to, whether I've been arrested or not arrested, whatever is hanging over my life, divorced, not divorced, uh, you know, whatever it looks like over your life, I'm telling you right now, if God is looking at the landscape of your past mistakes and his response to it is simply, I've removed that. Okay, okay. So this is how it plays out in your life and mine. This is how it plays out. How do I confess my sins? Well, I look at what I, anything that I've done that is contrary to who, who, how God created me to be, and I come to the realization in confession that what I have done that is not who God, who is not, who God created me to be, does not define who I am today. And a mistake in the past is in the past, but it has no bearing on who I am today. And who I am is this and this and this. I am the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Come on. That's what it means to confess our sins here. It doesn't mean to say, oh, act like we didn't do anything wrong. It's to understand that what we have done wrong, we're not going to convert a moment of guilt into a lifetime of shame. Do you hear me for a moment? See, because guilt is this the idea. Like I said, guilt is the idea that I've done something bad, not that I am bad. And guilt is a moment. It is a realization that I've did something that may have hurt myself or those that I love around me. It is a single moment, but it is not a lifetime. But shame, listen to me, shame is a lifetime of pain and misery and a cycle that we cannot get out of and only creates more moments where we're going to feel shame. So unfortunately, I'm going to just go there. Is that all right? Unfortunately, the church breeds really, I mean, we create and we multiply and we clone people that operate in shame. Religion has been, religion has done a good job of taking moments that should have been teaching lessons that you might feel guilt for in, a, in, a, in an instant. And we've allowed it to define people. Come on. If you've ever been in part of a church, you'll be like, oh, this is what we do in church. We'll be like, you know, that guy, that guy, the, you know, the guy, the, the, the guy, the, the drunk guy, you know, the, the drunk, the this, the that, you know, the guy, the guy that's been divorced four times. Come on, why do we only describe people by what we find wrong with them? We never say, you know that one guy, the real super creative, real brilliant, wonderful fella. No, we're like, the guy has been divorced four times. Like four times, that's a little heavy, don't you think? We create this idea that when you have done something, that it now is who you are. And now, in order to be accepted in the little club we got going on here, you've got to prove to us that's no longer who you are. But that, listen to me, that is not homologeo. That's not the same word as, as God. God's word over my life and yours is real simple. It's, yeah, okay, I see it. You've done it, but I have removed it from your life because it's not who you are. Come on. The price you should have paid has been paid, so therefore it's not who you are. And I know there are people in this room that are saying you don't know. That's right. Try me. I know that's right. Listen, we started doing this when I was about four years old, reaching out to people whose lives have become just unmanageable because of whatever. And we don't just, we don't just like hang out with people who have had drug and alcohol issues. Those aren't just all my friends, okay? <laughs> Like, we 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 have, like, for some reason, we, our, our niche has been in this community, not that it has to be exclusive to that, but our niche in this community has always been the people that have just seemed to be thrown away. Amen. And for some reason, I know why, because it's actually the gospel, but we don't need to go there. We just... We just, as a church, not just my family, but as a church, have found such great delight in watching rapid transformation happen in the lives of people that come with nothing and God begins to add to their life. It, it, it has been something we've done for years. And, and I, I uh, man, I, I don't have any time. That's okay. Um, I, I, I find myself often seeing this pattern be the difference, listen to me, the difference between the people who seem to just be like rockets skyrocketing to their destiny versus people who just never seem to get it. It's this right here. Do you know what they say? They say that shame, in order to get rid of shame, which is the point of this message today, That it requires um, a couple of things, but the main one is a word that you and I just, it, it makes everything in my being scream no. It's the word vulnerability. And the people, listen to this, the people that seem to be able to be the most vulnerable, this is not my opinion. This is the data collected after thousands of interviews with people regarding the topics of shame and vulnerability and this cycle, this, the the common theme between those, listen to me, those that believe they're worthy of love and connection versus those who don't believe they're worthy of love and connection. Do you know what the difference is between those groups? Almost every single time, the ones that believe they're worthy of love and connection. I'm sorry, the ones who seem to believe that, I messed that up, the ones that um, find themselves um, finding love and connection in life versus the ones that don't are actually the ones who believe they're worthy of it. In other words, they actually saw these positive things come to pass in their life because they believed that they were worthy of it. The ones who didn't have love and connection were convinced that because of who they are, not because of what they've done, but because of who they are, they'll never have love and connection. And they found a pattern that the ones who believed that they were worthy of love and connection and all of the things we need for our own emotional health and, and life and journey we were also willing to be vulnerable because they weren't afraid of losing more. Fear, the motivating factor behind shame, is the fear of disconnection. I am afraid because of what, I am afraid I'm not this enough. I'm afraid I'm not that enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not skinny enough. I am not, my life isn't as cleaned up. I feel like people my age are further ahead. I feel like I'm not this, and I feel like I'm not enough of this, and I feel like I'm not enough of that. And that cycle in our life of who I am will never be enough means that if I I told people even more of what's going on inside of me, I sure as heck will never reach where I'm trying to get to and go. Because I believe that my life is quantified based on who I am and what I think of who I am right now will never be enough to get to where I'm going. Versus the person that says, I have made some mistakes and done some dumb stuff. But none of that actually begins to define who I am and what I'm worthy of. Listen, and this is, a cute, like, this is a cute story. I love it. It's great. It's real. But the missing element a lot out there in the secular world when this is talked about is that I believe the missing element to all of this is allowing God and his creation to tell us who we are. I believe that's an essential element because people inherently are going to look at their sin and mistake and believe that surely they must pay for something. It's human nature where faith steps in and literally seals the deal is that Jesus, he didn't say, listen, he didn't say, oh, you made some mistakes, don't worry about it. He didn't say, oh, my past, you know, stuff that went on, who cares, hurt a couple people, no big deal. That's not what he said. He said, I know that you have done, you are doing, and you will make some mistakes. And because of that, I'm gonna do something in time that will be marked on the cross that will take care of and pay for your mistakes so that your sin will not define who you are so you won't live in a pattern of shame in your life so that you can still have messed up but not keep you from where I want you to be and where I want you to go and so that you will know that, yeah, you are worthy not because of we've added up your life and we believe you're valuable and worthy enough to receive it based on what we've done. No, you're worthy and valuable because your mistake... And my mistakes have been taken care of and paid for. The price has been taken care of. The the wages of sin and death upon our life were paid on the cross of Calvary so that we can remain worthy every day of our life. So if you messed up yesterday, you're worthy today. If you messed up this morning, you're worthy this afternoon of all that God has for you and me. Come on, that's good news. Hebrews 12, two, I gotta do this quick, like like five minutes quick. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I love this version of it. It says, look away from the shadow dispensation of the law and the prophets and fix your eyes upon Jesus for he is the fountainhead and, listen, conclusion of our faith. Your faith and mine has been concluded. We're not fighting for it anymore. It's done, it's sealed, it's taken care of. Do you hear me, Jimmy? It's taken care of. Amen. Our faith is concluded. Now we just get an opportunity to walk in it and live in it and grow in it and experience it and understand it more and more every day. But the conclusion is take, if you're waiting around like I do on Monday nights for my fantasy football, you know last week I scored top of the league except for one person who I happened to be playing, and it was my nephew Joshua who talks trash incessantly, and I lost by two-tenths of a point. That means if one of my guys would have ran three more yards, I would have won. Do you understand how heartbreaking that is? We're not waiting around on Monday night for Monday night football game to get done to find out where our place is. Oh, let me tell you where your place is. Your place is at the top of the league every single day. You are up here. You are worthy of the crown. The Bible says there were a royal priesthood and a holy nation because of Jesus Mm, This will set me and you free this morning. Romans 8.1, I'm going to do this quick. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Again, listen to this version. It says, now the decisive conclusion is this. In Christ, every last bit of condemning evidence against us is canceled. Thank you. Y'all, you wanna you you wanna enter into the room of critics? You think going into politics is where you're gonna get the most critics? No, no, no. Become a pastor. <laughs> And when they get to talk, my parents have had more people talk about them over the years than Donald Trump has, all right? They have so many people talking about them, good and bad, over the years, that they don't know whether they're coming or going half the time. They don't know friend or foe. One week, somebody's your buddy, and the next week, they're like, I know what you're up to. You're no good, son of a gun, blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you this right now. Every criticism over your life and mine is canceled. Yeah. I don't suggest doing this, but some of y'all might need to start doing this when you get around negative people and negative things that are trying to define you and tell you who you are and tell you what a mess you are and you're no good and how come you can't get your life together and why does every time you call me you need money? Why don't you learn to manage your money? And I'm so tired of it and you've been such a drag and why can't you be like this person? I don't, yeah, I'm kind of suggesting you just go canceled. Canceled. You can get creative with it, make it a little fun or whatever you got to do. Canceled. Well, I just, I just felt like canceled. See you, gone. I don't have enough time to finish this off, but maybe I will in the next couple weeks. But let me just say this to you. Vulnerability is the key to getting rid of shame and eliminating it from our lives. Shame is going to constantly be knocking at your door. You don't have to open the door. It's not going to go away. But you can leave it on the outside and let it have no dominion on the inside. Shame's going to come knocking because our society uses it. We think we motivate people with it. So shame's going to come knocking and you're going to say no. Okay, canceled. Let me say this to you. We are, our adult generation, my generation, we are the most numbed group of adults that our nation has ever seen. Probably the world has ever seen. We're on more medication. We are drinking more. We are using every substance and way that we possibly can to numb. And I want to tell you this. Researchers and scientists wholeheartedly believe that you cannot, and it makes sense, you cannot selectively numb emotions. So therefore, I feel angry. I feel frustrated. I feel shame. I feel disappointment. I feel anxiety. So I numb it. But with numbing all of that, I actually numb the joy, the peace, the love, the hope, and everything else that God. I love that scripture that says that it was the joy that was set before him that he despised shame. There's actually that that scripture, which means a lot, but I'm going to extract this out of it. That scripture, the idea that we must despise shame in order to experience the joy in front of us. Which means we're going to have to leave shame on the outside because once it gets in, we're going to find, Rob, we're going to find a way to numb it. We don't want to feel it. And with numbing it, we numb everything else. We numb everything. If you're numbing, you're not numbing the bad stuff. You're numbing everything. That's true. And really, it's not the way. We know that, but it's not the way. The way forward is to allow ourselves to realize completely and fully that, yeah, we might have messed up, but it doesn't become a part of our identity because my identity is homologo. It is what he says. It is the same as what he says. So when I confess I'm saying what he says about me. When I speak over my life, I'm saying what he says about me, even if I don't believe it. Because my soul and my heart and my mind deserve me fighting for them. They deserve to hear his words over my words. They deserve to hear his words over the words of the critics. They deserve to hear what he has to say. Even if I'm in the middle of a mess, I should speak what God says about me to remind myself that even the mess I'm in doesn't actually begin to define and stain who I am. Come on. All right, we'll end with this. Uh, I have so much to say. I'm sorry, guys. We just ran out of time. We did a lot more worship, but that's all right. Um, if we can learn to walk and work ourselves out of shame and open the door to the antidote to shame, which is vulnerability. What, what happens in a, in a therapy session or a counseling session that allows people to open up about what's going on in their life and be vulnerable? It's this principle. It's okay, we're here today to talk, Charlene. As a counselor or as a therapist or whatever I am in this role right now, um, I want to let you know that everything you say here is completely confidential. In other words, anything you say, describe, admit to, talk about here will not go past this room. It won't follow you around. And let's be real, Jay, we're going to be real here this morning, even though I'm out of time. The church has never been, at least as long as I'm alive, that kind of safe place for people to say, I hate to say this, but uh, I didn't get my 30 minutes of quiet time in every day this week. Instead, I was actually, I gambled away my rent money. Every morning. If, if you and I believed that we could say that and that it would not change any of the way anyone looked at us, change what people saw in us, change our standing in the community of people around us, if we believe that that Those words spoken wouldn't follow us around for the months and years to come. We would be a heck of a lot more vulnerable because you know why? Vulnerability is, creates, or is the playground or creates the atmosphere for creativity, for innovation, for the new spectacular, wonderful things that God's looking to do on the earth. It comes from a place of vulnerability. I'm running out of time today, but it, it makes sense, and I'll make it make sense this way. Vulnerability allows us to look around and go, you know what? We can do better. And that is the beginning and the precipice to creativity, innovation, all of the wonderful things that God wants to do in the earth through you and me, usually starts with somebody going, so we have a problem. And we're not looking to blame anybody. We're looking to solve it. Anybody have any ideas that takes vulnerability to sit down and go like, hey, our sales are down 50% over the same time last year. Let's talk about it. It's a complete culture shift from shaming and blaming to realizing that even if it is somebody's fault, it doesn't define who they are. From this moment forward, we can completely change the journey. Man, I hope this helps you today, church. You have to go home. Otherwise, the next crew who's already starting to come in here will not be happy. Does this make sense? Yes. Do you all want me to finish this next week? Yes. Okay, because I have a lot more to say. We need, um, before you leave, no one's allowed out this door until we read this. No, I'm just kidding. We need $260. We've got 30 here, so we need $230 to help um, a lady who needs um, some medical equipment so, so that she can, she just got re- recently diagnosed with glaucoma. So she's raised 200 of the 460. We're going to come up with the other 260. So go ahead and bring it up. Yeah. Um, you can designate, just do missions for today. Yeah. Yep. Dollar amount and then missions. Thank you. Thank you. We're getting there. I have a sense. I can tell how much it weighs. Thank you. Yeah, that's mom. Mom's going to give for you. Don't double give. You're going to get in trouble again. Thank you. thank you. Thank you. Every bit helps. Thank you. That's close. We love you guys. Thank you. We're going to help uh, help our dear sister. Thank you so much. That's another good chunk. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Thank- we're pretty close. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next week.